Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Union Chapel. I'm Greg Paris, and we're thrilled that you are here, and welcome. We trust that uh, you're having a good day. This is, of course, the season of Lent on the Christian calendar. Lent is the period of time between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday where the church contemplates the passion of Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. And it's a time of reflection and prayer and penance, self-denial, a focus on your spiritual life rather than the earthly life. And so I encourage you to engage that. And as we have provided these questionnaires for each of these messages that you would find a partner, someone to sit down or a group and consider your journey, your spiritual journey, so that you can take a step, grow a little bit. And that's the idea. We've been considering then in this season the last sayings of Jesus from the cross. Uh, you understand, I'm sure, that last words are sometimes very important words, and in Jesus' case, they were profoundly important. And so today we want to consider the words that Jesus said to his mother, Mary, and to his favorite disciple, John, and what we might learn from this exchange. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at John's Gospel, chapter 19, and I'm going to read for us verses 25, 26, and 27. So John 19, we're going to project these words. Our custom is to stand to hear God's Word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. We stand at the reading of God's Word just to acknowledge in a physical way, a respectful way, our acknowledgement of God's Word and its authority in our lives. We believe the Bible true here at Union Chapel. So John 19 and verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Now, I want to just invite you today to let, let your mind, let your person absorb this. This is, not, this is not pleasant or easy when you think about it. But here is a man's mother standing within feet of where he's being brutally put to death. It's very sobering. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, now, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's John. Who is the author of this gospel? It is John. So John's talking about himself, so he wants to make sure we all know that Jesus loved him best. And so we got it. And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, his mother, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. May God inspire and instruct us through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now here's the understatement of the day. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a strong and determined woman. Strong and determined is really underestimating who this person was. She loved her son. She loved her son. Imagine this as much as any mother has ever loved her son. She loved him. And now he was facing crucifixion, the most horrific of deaths. And she was determined. Think about this. Think of the, think of the psychology of it. Imagine the, the, the internal strength necessary to be in this moment. 
she insisted on going to the place of execution. You can almost hear the other women who were with her, Mary, the wife of Clopas. This is actually, it says her sister, but it was actually her sister-in-law. Clopas was the brother of Joseph. And so this other Mary, the sister-in-law, and then a third Mary, Mary Magdalene, they are with Mary, and you can almost hear them trying to dissuade her. Please, listen, you don't want to go. This is, this is going to be too much. It's too horrific. Please, please, it'll, it'll be too painful for you. But she was determined to go. What kind of woman is this? And so there she is. There, there are depictions of the cross, you know, in art uh, that would suggest that the cross was, you know, way up in the air, 10 or 12 feet in the air. That's not a practical application of this execution process, probably uh, Jesus and others that hung on a cross were not more than a couple of feet off the ground. So Jesus literally was close enough for her to be, almost touch him. The, the guards wouldn't permit that, but, but she was that close, just a few feet away as he suffers and dies. Can you imagine that perhaps she's fighting back the tears? She wants to cry out. She, she's suffering. She's in agony herself. But I imagine that she withholds her tears because she knows if she is in agony and, sh- and sharing her pain, that that would only enhance her son's pain. And so in order to support and encourage and give him hope, she stays stoic and brave. This is, this is quite a woman. And so it was in that context that Jesus now looks at her, looks at her and says, Dear woman, now this is your son. And maybe he nods at John standing nearby. And then to John he says, Here is your mother. No mother should have to watch her son being crucified. No. But she did. And now this third time that Jesus speaks from the cross, he spoke to his mother and his closest disciple, John, in a scene that is both moving, poignant, uh, powerful in its emotion, and truly substantial in its importance toward us as followers of Jesus as we try to comprehend what he was saying in this moment. So I invite you to consider in this context the 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 meaning to us personally and individually, these final words of Jesus. On your outline, you'll see some points that I want to make, and perhaps we can learn from this context. And the first is this, that we find the women in Jesus' ministry, the women in Jesus' ministry, three women there standing at the foot of the cross. And as you think about these three women standing there in the midst of this hostile crowd, you are impressed by... You're made aware of the substantial role that women had in the life of Jesus and ministry of Jesus. And, of course, we, uh, we have an increasing emphasis on the status and role of women in our culture and other cultures of the world. And, and any time you have radical social movements like this and an emphasis on one gender or other, uh, there's always extremes, and it, the pendulum s- tends to swing too far. But, but in the mid- middle of, of it, there's, there's meaning, and there's significance, and there's probably the will of God found there. And it's important for us to pause just to acknowledge the women in Jesus' life. 
and in his ministry. We have examples in the Gospels where we see women very prominent. For example, it was the women who financially supported the work of Jesus and the disciples. You can find that reference in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. So women were actually funding, financially supporting Jesus and the disciples when they were doing their work. It was a woman who became the first missionary to the Samaritans. John chapter 4, maybe you heard Pastor Cole reference the woman of Samaria. She became the first evangelist to her people. It was a woman who anointed Jesus with oil in preparation for his burial. We've rehearsed that story, Matthew 26. It was three women who had the courage to stand by Jesus there at the cross. And we know that Jesus hung on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning till about 3 in the afternoon for, nine, for six hours. Six hours they're there. What level of courage would that require? Women. Amazing. It was, it was uh, the women who first came to the tomb and found it empty on Easter morning. It was a woman who first saw Christ raised from the dead and in turn a woman who became the first to proclaim the resurrection to others. And so we see women in prominent places, in prominent moments, prominent roles in the life and ministry of Jesus. So we can just say generally in our world that it's not a coincidence that in the cultures of the world that suppress the rights and the roles of women are cultures that have the least developed, the least educated, the least prosperous, and the least influential cultures in the world. I mean, it's just common sense, isn't it, that if you suppress the role and rights of half the population, that you're going to be diminished by it. If, on the other hand, you encourage and enhance the role and opportunity of half the population, that you will benefit from it. And that's what we see. So all of that to say that Jesus was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time in the recognition and the empowerment of women. And I just want to say that, that I am particularly pleased and even perhaps even proud here at Union Chapel over the years for the role that women, the place of women, the status of women that we have afforded to people in key leadership here, and I'm very happy about that. And Jesus was the first to model this well. And so we see the women in Jesus' life. Here's the second thing. You want to write this down maybe. Mary is perceived as the second Eve, the second Eve. Now we know who the first Eve, the Garden of Eden, and we have Adam and Eve, and here we see a second Eve, if you will, the mother of Jesus. She is the single most important person in all of human history related to the salvation of the world besides Jesus. She's very important. She's the one who gave her life. She's the one who risked her life. She's the one who gave up all of her dreams and personal ambitions. This angel comes to her. We think she's probably still a teenager. And this angel gives this invitation to be the God-bearer into the world. So she is the one who carried, and she's the one who delivered and raised the Messiah. She's the one who said to the angel, well, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to what you said. And so here's a woman who goes all in and has given everything for God's will in her life. And I want you to think about that. He, she carried the Son of God in her womb. Theologians call, call her the Theotokos, the God-bearer. She's the one who actually provided nourishment and nurture so that God's Word could become flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this woman who stood by the cross, desperately seeking to console and give hope to her dying son, 
also paid a great price for our salvation. Hang on to that. So we know that parents, almost without exception, have the instinct that they would do whatever they have to do, whatever it takes to care for their children. Perhaps you've even said the words, as I have said to my children, listen, I'd give up my life for you. And and that's just not talking. As parents, that's an instinct that we have. Mary played this out in profound ways. It was not only Jesus who suffered. Think of the level of suffering that she experienced as he died. So history, we know that in the Christian faith, Mary has been seen then as the second Eve. The first Eve lost our paradise. Paradise lost in the Garden of Eden. But the second Eve, Mary, the gift born of Mary, we find paradise restored. Paradise lost in the first, paradise restored in the second Eve. So we acknowledge her as the second Eve. Here's the third thing that we might learn from this phrase, from the cross. Number three, and that is the simple command, one of the original ten commandments, to honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Perhaps the most common understanding of this passage is that even as Jesus hung on the cross, he was concerned for his mother. And we see that evidence here. And so he asked John to care for his mother and asked his mother to submit to the care and protection of John. And so in this tender conversation, we see the fifth commandment brought into play to honor your father and your mother. Now, for, for history and just about all places in the world, we know that as people age that it becomes the responsibility of the children, maybe grandchildren, to care for those aged older ones. And this has been true for all places, all times, practically. We have discovered in our culture in recent decades that, that we expect uh, the older ones to prepare adequately for their care in retirement years, later years. But that's not always the case, and that's not always possible, and it's not always that these arrangements have been made. In fact, we are seeing some alarming numbers beginning to surface in our own generation that folks who are older now have not adequately prepared for their future. There is uncertainty about Social Security and whether or not those benefits will will remain as strong as they are now. We do know that health costs continue to rise, and so all of these factors uh, into whether or not Parents, grandparents are going to be properly cared for. We find then in the mandate to honor your father and mother the inclusion of the need to care for your parents. It's the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do. Beth and I are now living into this reality in our own lives as my father's recently passed. This afternoon we'll be traveling to Lafayette to visit my mother and and to celebrate her birthday and and again, to talk with my siblings about her long-term care. And this is, what, this is what people do. This is the responsibility. This is the biblical vision. This is the mandate that Jesus has given us through these last words from the cross. And I, I know you're hearing it. And that leads us then to, to the other side of this coin, which is point number four in your outline. If you'll look at it just for a moment, John then becomes a model for us in the church. He models what this looks like. Now, I'll remind you that John was not a blood relative to Mary or Jesus. 
He was, however, part of the family of God. Now, let me put this statement on the screen, see if you agree with it. Perhaps we are to learn that family ties sometimes transcend in the church by the ties of the Spirit. That family ties can be transcended in the church by ties of the Spirit. In this case, John intends for us to understand that we are responsible to care for one another. Yeah, even taking on the role of parent or child or brother or sister or to another who's in need. Heard this uh, beautiful story. Uh, a man in Manhattan, Kansas was a elementary school teacher. His name was Roger. And Roger was working late at school one night, past dark, and as he was leaving, he noticed a boy out in the schoolyard on the swing. And he went out and discovered that it was one of his, one of his students, fourth grade. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan, what are you doing? Well, my mother, my mother has left our, our home, and my dad has to work at night, and he's not doing so well. And so he said, I just didn't really have any place to go. Well, Roger tried to encourage him and reassure him a bit and sent him on home. And sure enough, it wasn't too long, and Roger's dad wasn't able to fulfill his responsibilities. And so Jonathan went into... Uh, Roger, Roger's the teacher. Jonathan is the student. Frustrating. Jonathan's dad couldn't fulfill his responsibilities, so Jonathan went into foster care. And then his dad did a little bit better, and so he came out of foster care. And then his dad slipped again, and so now he was headed back to foster care. And watch what happened. Jonathan's dad went to his teacher, Roger, and asked him if he would take Jonathan into his own home. And Roger agreed. And Roger raised Jonathan just like he was his own son. Isn't that a remarkable story? And it was quickly discovered that John, Jonathan was a specially gifted young guy and very creative and very smart. And so he went on to Kansas State University and married a beautiful young woman. And they sensed a call of God to reach those in need around the world. And so they spent a number of years as missionaries in South Africa, ministering to the poor there. And now they live in Chicago, Illinois, where they work with inner city boys who have no place to call home. Isn't that a great story? It's a beautiful story, but it illustrates so well what Jesus was offering to us. Not only his sense of call, but our sense of call to recognize the people around us. They don't have to be members of our own family. They can be members of the family of God, and they still represent to us opportunity to care and to serve. So I just want to give kudos to so many people in our own community and particularly people in our own church who are foster parents, who are advocates, who are big brothers or big sisters, who, who have engaged in legal adoption of children that have no place to call home. We have members of our church who tutor those in our grade schools and offer school supplies and winter clothes and do backpacks at the beginning of the school year, provide, provide meals, ongoing meals, warm meals for children, needy children in our own community in the off-school months of the year, and on and on and on the list goes of people who actually practice this gift of relationship that God admonishes us to employ 
from the words of Jesus. And so we're thankful for that. Let me show you this one more verse, and this might bring it home to you. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Look at it on the screen with me. Jesus said this. He said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoop, there it is. There it is. And that clarifies it well. So let's look at this fifth thing that we might learn from this text. And it's on your outline. And just to emphasize once again that this is a woman who lost a son. A woman who lost a son. One such woman wrote these words. She said, when you lose a child, you lose part of yourself as a woman. He was inside of you. He was your flesh and blood. She said, I feel Mary's loss, having lost a son. And it's absolutely catastrophic. It's devastating at first. And I'm sure she lived with that great sadness all of her life. But because she loved her son so much and saw what he was trying to accomplish, I'm sure that she saw then her own mission in life, to carry on what he was trying to do. So she was very brave and strong, and obviously everything she went through from the time Jesus was born all the way through the end of his life, she writes, I think she really knew she had a mission in life that God had given her, and she tried to carry that out her whole life. That's so insightful. Some of you know that my oldest sister, Kristen, lost uh, her son, her firstborn, Caleb, uh, Caleb has been gone now for 18 years, and he was 22 when he passed. And a few years ago, I asked my sister to write down some of her thoughts about that experience and how it continues to impact her. And she was reluctant to do so, but I, I encouraged her, and I, and I warned her. I said, I'm going to share some of this with, with you. And so she was kind enough to put some thoughts to paper. And let me just share a few of the of the anecdotes from that writing that she did. She said, I never ever thought that Caleb had been robbed of anything or was missing out on anything here. I know if God gave him a chance to return, he, he would decline. I also believe that if God had asked Caleb and told him that he had a plan to use his death for his purposes by bringing his friends and others to a meaningful relationship with Christ, that Caleb would have agreed to it. I also remember thinking that soon after he had died. I never once have felt sorry for Caleb. I know he is well and looking forward to us all being together again. And then this insight. I think Mary had the same peace about that. When others reject the truth of Christ, listen to this. When others reject the truth of Christ, I take it personally. Like they're rejecting Caleb's sacrifice. Isn't that curious? That's just really interesting. Do you suppose Mary felt the same? Of course she did. What do you mean you don't believe in my son? What's the matter with you? How passionate an evangelist do you suppose she was? How much inspiration could she provide if she attended your small group? Oh yeah, you should follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, you should give your life to him. Do you have any idea what he's done to prepare a place for you? Oh, yeah. It's very insightful. My sister wrote, if God had given me the choice, I would have never given up my son. 
Yeah. So she said, I wonder how Mary felt. Because she had no choice either. That's something, isn't it? So John's inclusion of the story of Mary standing at the foot of the cross, watching Jesus die, reminds us of the most important woman who's ever lived. This is, this is the woman who is highly favored. Behold, you're the highly favored one. You've been chosen. You've been selected. And, and she came to the understanding of the suffering of those who've lost a child. And, and she, she came to realize that her own suffering and her own sense of loss didn't mean it was the end of her influence or the end of her life. And could I just say to parents all over the congregation this weekend, because I know you're here, those of you who have lost children, your life is not over either. That, that God will use your suffering, that God will take your pain, that God will actually give you perspective that no one else could possibly have if they've not lived through your experience. And in, and in that preparation, God allows you opportunity to influence those around you. And I can imagine Mary lived her life just that way. So in this scene, in these final words of Jesus, a word of relationship, we see the courage of these women. Great courage for them to be there. Courage on every level. So inspiring, so amazing. We're also reminded once more of the profound role that Mary played in God's redemptive work through her son, Jesus Christ. And we recall Jesus' witness. The call to care for our parents. And the, and the mandate to those of us in the family of faith, the church of Jesus Christ, that we are to care for those who are younger and those who are older. And to care for those who might be our children or might be recognized as our parents. So in these final words, these last words, we not only see the mission of Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which is lost, but we hear the mandate of Jesus toward us, don't we? We, we receive a call on our own lives, and in this case, the call to care for those who are close to us in the family of God, some older, some younger, but to extend that care in Jesus' name. Did you get it? Did you get it? Say, I got it. Did you get it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your mother, your mother Mary. Thank you for her witness, for her courage, and her love for you. So profound. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to heed your call. The same call you gave to John. May we hear it as our own so that we might care for our parents, our children, and so that we might see those who have no parent or child, even as our own parents and children, and care for them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this light on our path and the hope in our hearts. In your holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?